This morning, we are in week number two of a series that we are calling Flawed. And uh, in this series, we are just leaning into this idea, into this truth that is often not easy for us to believe. And it's the truth that God is not daunted. God is not intimidated. God is not repulsed by your mess. God is not repulsed by your struggle. God is not repulsed by your weakness. In fact, God wants to use you even in the midst of your struggle and in the midst of your weakness. God wants to meet you even in the midst of your struggle and in the midst of your weakness. And in order to lean into that truth, we are looking at different characters in the Bible who have well-documented issues, and yet in the midst of all of those, God used them still. And if he will do that for them, we trust that he will do that for us. And this morning, we are going to peer into the life of the Old Testament character named Samson. Samson. Samson was a man that God would use greatly to bring incredible deliverance to his people. But Samson was also a man with some well-documented issues. Samson was a man who was often driven by his impulses into places and into practices that were incredibly destructive. Matter of fact, I cannot think of another person in Scripture who was most self self-destructive in his impulsiveness as Samson was, and yet God used him still. If you have a copy of the Bible, you can meet me in Judges chapter 13. We're going to be um, Judges chapter 13 through 16. We're going to be kind of taking a sweeping look at his life, but we're going to start in Judges chapter 13. If you don't have a copy of the Bible, no worries. The verses will um, magically pop up on the screen behind me, and you can follow along that way. Um, Judges chapter 13, um, starting at verse 1. Here's how it begins. Um, again, it says, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, so the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. Um, This, by the way, this verse, uh, Judges chapter 13, verse 1, this is the repeating theme of the book of Judges. The Israelites, God's um, chosen um, and beloved people, uh, would get to these places where they would just decide that, hey, following the the trends of the culture uh, was more hip than following God, and so they would start to disregard what God had said. God wasn't a fan of that, and so what God would do in response is he would deliver them into the hands of the very cultures that they longed to emulate, and those cultures would wreak havoc on the Israelites, so it would rule over them and oppress them and make their lives miserable, and then the Israelites would get to this place, they would say, we don't like this anymore, and they would cry out to God, and God in his mercy would send a deliverer. He would send an individual to deliver his people out of the hands of whatever culture, whatever nation it was at that particular time. As you can imagine, God's people would be incredibly grateful to God for delivering them for about 1.3 minutes. And after that, they would decide, hey, let's go back and and live like the culture around us. And then God wouldn't be a fan and he would deliver them into the hands of those people and they would cry out to God and he'll deliver them out of their hands through this individual. And this individual through whom God would deliver his people was called a judge. Hence, the book of judges. Now, don't picture some dude in a courtroom with a robe. No, picture Braveheart. Picture the gladiator. Picture Thor. Picture Aquaman or Conan, whoever your particular buff dude is. Um, but he would send a warrior to deliver his people, and then his people would rebel again. And that was the song and dance of the book of judges. In this particular case, it was the Philistines God had delivered his people. Um, into, and uh, they were ruling over the Israelites for 40 years, making their lives miserable. The Israelites were like, please, God, help us, and God went to work on sending them a deliverer. And uh, at at this point, God miraculously made a a barren woman, um, opened a barren woman's womb, um, and she gave birth to a baby boy. 
and um, this boy would become the judge, the deliverer through whom God would bring his people out of the oppression to the Philistines. And uh, here's the prediction, verse 5, chapter 13. You, he's talking to um, this woman, Manoah, you will become pregnant and have a son whose head is never to be touched by a razor because the boy is to be a Nazarite, dedicated to God from the womb. He will take the lead in delivering Israel from the hands of the Philistines. And in case you've never heard the story of Samson, spoiler alert, God's prediction would come true. Um, God would bring about this baby boy, and he would end up using him to deliver his people from oppression. And God would use this particular individual, Samson, um, to deliver his people by giving him a supernatural strength. Um, Samson would be able to accomplish physical feats of strength no human being before him or since ever has. If you've ever heard anything about Samson, I'm sure you've heard he was the strongest man to ever live. One time, uh, Samson, uh, he ripped out of the ground two city gates with their poles and all, just ripped them out of the ground, and then he put them on his shoulders and carried them up a hill just for kicks. Now, um, for perspective, each one of those gates with the posts weighs the equivalent of a Ford F-250. He's hauling one of these suckers on each shoulder just for the fun of it. One time, uh, Samson... Uh, grabbed the uh, jawbone of a, a donkey, and he killed a thousand men. A thousand men with a bone. Anyway, so Samson was incredibly strong. Now, one of the conditions for Samson was that he would be a, a Nazarite, and uh, that's just a fancy way of saying he was to be set apart um, for the service of um, God. And so he took a vow in his commitment to God. And there were three things that were key in the vow he made. Uh, thing number one, could not drink alcohol. Don't know what kind of a Nazarite you would make, but that was rule number one. Uh, rule number two um, was that he was never to touch a dead body of any kind. And rule number three, the most important one, is he was never to cut his hair. God would use this man greatly, even though he had some serious issues driven by his impulses into destructive patterns. The first encounter we have with Samson is one in which his impulse is on full display. It is just driving him. Uh, when we first um, meet this Samson character, he's not praying in a meeting somewhere. No. Um, he is actually uh, scoping out hotties at the spot. Um, he is trying to find himself a spicy bay. And... Um, well, let me just look for yourself. Judges chapter 14, we're jumping forward a little bit. Samson chapter 14, verse 1, he went down to Timnah, and there he saw a young Philistine woman. <laughs> when he returned, he said to his father and mother, I have seen a Philistine woman in Timnah, mm -mm -mm, is what it says in the Hebrew. Now, get her for me as my wife. Verse 3. His father and mother replied, mm, isn't there an acceptable woman among your relatives? Time out. That was a thing back then, by the way. <laughs> this is not a biblical recommendation. Um, or among all of our people, must you go to the uncircumcised Philistines to get a wife? But Samson said to his father, get her for me. She's the right one for me. <laughs> this is our first encounter with, with, with Samson. Um, now, some of you may not know this, but there was actually a time uh, before Insta-stalking. Uh, there, there was a time 
before you could just kind of scroll through someone's feed or browse their story um, or, or whatever. That was a time before you could swipe left uh, to see the options. You actually had to go to physical locations and people watch like a weird person, the good old days. Um, and that's what Samson is doing here. He's on the prowl, and he's on the prowl in enemy territory, and he goes to the spot, and he sees a Philistine girl, and dude is sprung. She is fine, and he falls hard, super hard. <laughs> and what proceeds is um, uh, what uh, I would uh, suspect would be the conversation 80% of teenagers have with their parents about dating. This is just hilarious when you read the Bible in real time. Um, But I love her. Mom, she's not like any other girl I've ever met. But Samson, you've never even met her. But I saw her online or wherever the case is. This is just classic stuff. You just don't know him. You guys just don't know him. I, I love him. And, 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 and whatever is even my life if I can't have him. And it is all the drama packed into this conversation he's having with his parents right now. I'm in love and I don't care who knows it, right? He sees this woman and he must have her. Impulse takes over, boy. Mm. So he demands that his parents go get her for him because cultural protocol required that the two parents got together and they talked and they made the arrangements so therefore the two kids um, could get together. Now the problem here wasn't falling for this girl that he had incidentally never spoken a word to in his life. Uh, The problem was that Samson fell for someone forbidden by God. God was explicitly clear, you must not marry the surrounding nations who do not worship me ever. Samson knew that. His parents knew that, which is why they were trying to remind him, which is why they were trying to dissuade him, which is why they were trying to redirect him towards the path of God. But Samson is being driven by impulse. And when being driven by impulse falls in love, get out of the way. Loses his bearings. Loses the sense of what he is called to do. But, man, um, I'm so glad I'm in a church with some real people who can admit, yeah, I kind of relate to that. Um, I'm just glad we can be honest with each other because this is a safe place and we trust each other and, and we'll be willing to say, yeah, yeah, I can admit when I see, I fall. And when I fall, woo, I fall hard and my heart wants what my heart wants and I appreciate God's thoughts and everything, but who cares? I've got to have him. I've got to have her. Samson is so much like us. Mm. Just say, we scope that cute somebody who completes us, and we have to have them. What even is our life apart from them? And when being driven by impulse falls in love, come on, you know it, your friends can't tell you anything. All 15 of them are wrong. Those are just 400 isolated incidences of him being a jerk. But otherwise, y'all just don't know him. He loves Jesus. It's his name. He uses it a lot. Um, So you just don't know him, mom. You just don't know her like I know her, dad. We will justify and we will compromise and we will demand when impulse falls in love. If we can just be honest about the ways we are like Samson, we lose our bearings. We have to have it. Oh, you thought we were just talking about romantic relationships. (laughs) No, no, no. 
Come on. You know you didn't even know you needed it till you saw it on an episode of Fixer Upper. Now, how can you even live in this house without subway tile? Like, what is this place? It's gross. Who cares what your bank account tells you about the fact that you can't afford it? Well, but, um, but I think we'll get it back out of the house maybe one day if we get out of debt and we ever sell it. Doesn't matter that God says, no, the borrower is slave to the lender. Stay away from debt. But I saw it and I love it and I want it and I must have it. It's the latest phone. Do you even know how many cameras are on that thing? It's, it's the best. I've, I've got to have it. I can barely make payments on my life right now, but listen, I can scrap some things together and I can make payments for that phone. I haven't given to the work of the Lord in over a year, but I will make it happen for that phone. Woo! And driven by impulse falls in love. Some of us have a standing relationship with a girl named Amazona Primeson. You know, uh, <laughs> come on, somebody. Anyway, Samson's parents, they cave um, to the pressure, and uh, together they take a trip to go get him this forbidden Philistine girl. And then while they're on their way, come on, only in the Bible, verse 5, Samson went down to Timnah together with his father and mother to get the forbidden girl. As they approached the vineyards of Timnah, suddenly True story, a young lion came roaring towards Samson. Verse 6, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him so that he tore the lion apart with his bare hands as he might have torn a young goat. But he told neither his father nor his mother what he had done. Then he went down and talked with a woman and he liked her. Things seemed to be working out. Are you kidding me? Back up real quick. And this is the point where I just so envy those of you who are maybe hearing this story for the very first time. What? A lion comes out and charges Samson. And Samson says, ah! And then he, he faints. No, that's what I would do. 100%. No, apparently... Lion picked the wrong dude on this particular day. As if there's such a thing. The other lions are like, this is not usually how this goes. You know, uh, this is insane. Spirit of God comes over this kid and gives him a dose of supernatural strength. And he grabs the lion by the mouth and he shreds that thing in two with his bare hands. Have you ever tried this? This is not easy. <laughs> oh, man, I, I stay on track, Kondo. But I love, I, I, I love that the Bible even thinks to tell us that he ripped this lion apart like one might rip apart a baby goat. I'm like, what? How weak have we become as a human race? How strong were these people? <laughs> That's ridiculous. Like, yeah, I mean, I can do a baby goat, but with a lion, whoa, whoa, that's a little much. Like, what on earth, man? I can jump a semi-truck, but those airplanes, they're tricky, man. This is insane. But regardless of our weakness as a human race, um, man, the spirit of the living God fills Samson's frame with power, and he splits a lion. And while we are busy marveling at this Holy Spirit strength in that man, come on, somebody, don't we for a second forget where he is going. The spirit of the living God comes upon Samson as his impulse is driving him away from the word of the living God. And I just came to announce to somebody he will use you still. I pause and I'm like, wait, 
When this happened, where was he going? He was going after the forbidden girl. And the spirit of God came over him. And he did something we are still talking about centuries and centuries later. And I'm telling you, he will use you still. You fell in love with some things that God doesn't particularly love. And you've believed he must be done with you. In fact, he's out to get you. Matter of fact, God is the lion who is charging to roar and destroy you. And I'm just going to go ahead and play the Samson card and say, no, he will use you still. No, he, he, couldn't, he couldn't possibly use me. You, you know the things that I'm in the midst of struggling with right now. And I just came to church to tell you, shh, Samson card. Some of you came to church to hear there are some lions he still wants to shred through you even while you do your little rebel dance. And he's not waiting for you to get all your stuff together. The Samson card. There are some hurting people on campus that God is inviting you to carry hope to even while you wrestle with what you are wrestling with. There are some co-workers who need to hear the hope of Jesus Christ even while you are moving in some unhealthy directions. I'm telling you, there is something in the church that will say, well, well, God can't use me while I'm struggling with this or I'm walking through this or I'm doing these kinds of things. And you know what we end up doing? We end up saying, so I'm going to wait till I've got myself fixed and then I'm going to start to obey the things God has called me to. So I'm going to just add more disobedience or whatever we rationalize in our minds. And for some of us, we've taken two years off of sharing the gospel. Why? Because I'm still struggling with some things. I'm still walking towards Timna a little bit. And so I can see the enemy prowling and I can see him doing his thing. And I, you know what? I'm, God will use you still. Stop limiting what he will do through you now. Anyway, Samson meets this Philistine woman. Man, things go royally. She says yes to the dress and everything. And then verse 8, it says, sometime later when he went back to marry her, he turned aside to look at the lion carcass. Remember that guy? And in the lion carcass, he saw a swarm of bees and some honey. He scooped out the honey with his hands and ate as he went along. (laughs) Video footage is going to be the best. In heaven. When he rejoined his parents, he even gave them some of the honey and they ate too. But he didn't tell them that he had taken the honey from the lion's carcass, mainly because he was not supposed to touch a dead body. But he wants what he wants. And you know, when driven by impulse feels appetite, you've got to satisfy it. You've got to gratify it. And that honey looks good right now. I don't care if it's tucked away in a forbidden place. You know, he just goes after it. This is Samson driven by impulse. But kudos to him. I don't want to be myopic. Kudos to him. Let's give him his props. He did share some of that sweet honey um, with his loved ones. So, good job, Samson. Um, He gets to his wedding, and I'm telling you, you you couldn't make this stuff up. Um, Back then, a a wedding would be like a week-long party. Um, And uh, no joke, at his own wedding, Samson gets deathly bored. (laughs) What a romantic guy. Two days into marriage. And two days, he's in the middle of a party, having just married this woman that he fell in love with and had to have. And he was over it. He was bored. Because one of the ways you know that you are being driven by your impulses is you get very easily bored. And when driven by impulse gets bored... It has to have stimulation. It, it, it has to feel a rush. It has to have some amusement, some, something to entertain me. To stir the adrenaline and, and, and the endorphins, which is why, boy, 
Boredom is a breeding ground for some bad decisions. You have made some bad decisions while you were bored at night. You have sent some texts while you were bored at night. You have, I'm just saying, boredom is the breeding ground for bad decisions. Man, the New Living Bible says idle hands are the devil's workshop in Proverbs chapter 16. And I was just thinking, can you imagine how scary it would be if something happened where a whole culture became bored? Mm. Man, the devil would have a heyday. If that ever happened, the devil would be having himself a field day. If there was ever a culture in which we couldn't just sit, we have to surf. We can't just be with people. We must be scrolling something while we're sitting with people because Lord forbid we just sit with people. That would be, whoo, can you imagine a culture like that? I'm just asking, can you imagine a culture in which I got into my car and I can't go 20 seconds without music? What, what, I'm supposed to go to the restroom without my telephone? What is this, the 1500s? Nay! I'm supposed to fall asleep without Netflix? Are you joking? This isn't jail. Anyway, I wonder if anyone would be willing to admit we have become bored. And boredom is a breeding ground. Some seriously rough decisions. Anyway, Samson... Back to him, because uh, this, this is, it doesn't apply to us. But back then, uh, Samson, he, he, um, he couldn't post something for people to like and give him a boost and a rush or something like that. So instead, he made up a riddle. Uh, he told 30 Philistine men a riddle. And he said, listen, if you solve this riddle within the week of this party, I am going to give each of you a robe. And I'm actually going to give each of you uh, additional clothing. I'm going to give you all some outfits. If you can't solve the riddle, then you all need to give me 30 new outfits. Why? Because he was bored and he needed a rush. So what does he pick? Gambling. He's going to pick a high-stakes situation to kind of get the blood going. Um... These guys couldn't figure out the riddle, so they went to his new wife and threatened to burn her and her family if she didn't give them the code. So she worked Samson, and eventually Samson caved. He gave his wife uh, the codes to the riddle. She gave it to these guys. These guys came and they told Samson the answer to his riddle, and Samson, to his credit, paid up his debt. And you know how Samson did this? He went to a neighboring town, and he just beat up 30 dudes, took their robes, took their outfits, and he brought them and paid his bet. grown men. I'll tell you how. Um, Judges chapter 14, verse 19. Then the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. And he went down to Ashkelon, struck down 30 of their men, stripped them of everything, and gave their clothes to those who had explained the riddle. I'm sorry, what? The Holy Spirit is aiding and abetting in crimes now. He's an accomplice to a rumbling. Did you read this? And even in the midst of his boredom and dumb decisions, here comes the Holy Spirit. By the way, this is such a great reminder that the Spirit of God will gift you still. The Spirit of the Lord will gift you still. Samson is so much like us, if we can just be honest, because it's amazing how often the Spirit gifts his people and how often we misuse his gifts for our own benefit because we are bored and we need to amuse ourselves. Some of you have the gift of leadership, and the only thing you've led is more attention towards you, and the Spirit gifts you still. He's never taken the gift. He still came upon you, gave you that gift. He's given you the gift of teaching, and you've just used it to build yourself a little empire. He's given you the gift maybe musically. 
And you're like, how many people can I get to subscribe? And how many people can I get to follow me? But I'm not going to serve his people in the context of the church. This is such an amazing reminder. He's given some of us the gift of generosity. He's given some of us the gift of, of mercy. But when we are bored in a culture, we are going to use those gifts to amuse ourselves. And yet he gifts us still. Misused the Spirit's gifts to entertain himself and pay a bet. Anyway, after he pays off um, his bet, Samson um, leaves his wife. I don't mean like he goes to the grocery store. I mean he leaves his wife and he goes back to live with his parents. He is so furious that she gave the coat away, that she betrayed him. He's done. I am done. And by the way, some of us can relate to this because when driven by impulse gets angry, we make some swift and sweeping decisions. I'm out. That's it. I'm done. I sold the house. You did what? I was mad. We're getting a divorce. Like we start to make these sweeping decisions. Which is what Samson does here. I'm never speaking to you ever again. I hate you. He's mad. But as is often true for us, he later comes to his senses. And he, he grabs a little I'm sorry goat. Throws it over his shoulder. Doesn't rip this one apart. Just it's living and everything. Um, And he takes the goat to his wife's house to go and make things right. Because (laughs) when driven by impulse gets mad, it makes some sweeping and swift decisions and is usually convinced, I'm just going to go fix it and pick up where I left off. Mm -mm. He gets to his wife's house and he's met by her dad. And dad says, oh man, Uh, she's moved on. Matter of fact, I gave her to one of those 30 dudes who you gave the robe to. You remember the guy you lost a bet to? Yeah, anyway, now you've lost your wife to him as well. Um, When driven by impulse gets mad. Um, Sometimes you don't get to do the impulsive anger thing and then pick up things where you left them off. He loses his wife because he's driven by impulse. And when driven by impulse gets mad, woof. Well, at this point, I think it's fair to say we know Samson well enough to know um, he goes off, does not appreciate this. So here's what Samson does. And if you've heard this story, this is where Samson catches 300 fox foxes. Fox eye? I don't know. Whatever. Many of them. 300 of them. And uh, he ties them in pairs by their tails. And then he attaches a torch to each of them and then lights the torches. And then it's like, bah! and then they all go running, scattered. And they burn up like the entire storehouse of grain of the Philistines and burn up their vineyards. He goes up and burns everything down because, ooh, and driven by impulse gets even more mad. Instead of trying to fix things, he just makes them worse. Needless to say, the Philistines aren't happy. So they're like, we're going to pay you back. And what they do is they burn his wife and the wife's dad and the family. And that drama, that ugly, messy tension would start a beef between the Philistines and Samson. And that is how God would bring about deliverance of his people. Isn't that a trip? Come on. Wouldn't you think that God would be like, and they were in a prayer meeting, and the Spirit came upon Samson, and Samson doth went to the Philistines, and he said, let his people go. And then they, no! God brought deliverance through Samson through drama and mess and death and anger and boredom, and yet here were God's purposes still working in the midst of and through this man. I don't know how messy or crazy or dysfunctional your world is, but I just came to announce to you, God is still working 
even in the midst of all of that. This is a messy, messy story. And for 20 years, Samson would be at war with the Philistines. And guess what happened while Samson was at war with the Philistines? And the Philistines were, we've got to kill this dude. And Samson, I'm going to just keep burning your stuff. We're going to kill you. No, you're not. And he keeps burning their stuff. And there's this Philistine, Samson, Philistine, Samson. And the Israelites are like, oh man, this is awesome. They're just chilling (laughs) on account of this drama that's going on over here. Sometimes God does things in the way I wouldn't, but I gladly admit he knows better. Um, This is what starts this drama, and for 20 years, that's how Samson protects the, the Israelite nation, but... All of this being driven by impulse would eventually start to catch up with Samson in a way that led towards the end. And you don't have to guess it was triggered by a situation with a woman um, for him. Judges chapter 16 verse 1 says this, one day... This is the Bible, man. Wow. One day, Samson went to Gaza where he saw a prostitute. Um, He went in to spend the night with her. By the way, when you allow yourself to be driven by your impulses, it escalates, it spirals, and this is what starts to happen for Samson. You notice, now he sees a prostitute. He doesn't go consult his parents. He doesn't ask his friends. He just goes in to spend the night with her. Now it's just becoming second nature to him. The people of Gaza were told, Samson is here. So they surrounded that place and lay in wait for him all night. This was a perfect moment to get him. And they waited at the city gate. They made no move during the night, saying, at dawn, we'll kill him. Uh, This is, by the way, a scenario with the Ford F-250 trucks. This is where he just lifts the gates and walks up, and they're like, we'll get you next time, buddy. You know, what are you going to do? Verse 4 says, sometime later, he fell in love with a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. Um, he ended up marrying Delilah. Again, no parents involved. He doesn't go through the cultural protocol. He's just doing it now, man. It's becoming second nature to him. And I'll tell you what I find most striking about this series of verses right here. Something I think, man, the church could sit down and talk about for years. 20 years, he's been wreaking havoc on the the Philistines. and, and, And they want to take him out in any way they can, but they cannot take him out. And part of that is because they cannot discover the secret to his strength. And the reason they cannot discover the secret to Samson's strength is because he won't tell anyone the secret to his strength. He won't tell anyone about cutting his locks. He still hasn't cut his hair, and he won't tell anybody about cutting his hair. I read that and I'm like, wait, what? The most impulsive man of God ever. And he never thought to give up that information in a moment of anger. He never thought to give up that information in some impulsive gambling situation. He never thought to tell anybody. Nope. Never thought to tell anybody that never whispered a word. And it struck me, men being driven by impulses can actually be really picky. And that was really helpful for me to see. Like there are lines even Samson, the impulsive warrior, would never cross. Samson would be like, what? My hair never. Are you kidding me? Who would do that? Who Who would tell the secrets to their strength when they've made a vow to the Lord that they wouldn't? When they've made a vow to the Lord that they would never cut their locks? Who would think to cut their locks? Isn't that a trip? Wait a minute, Samson. You will go and sleep with a prostitute and then marry a Philistine 
but you won't cut your hair. Never. I shan't. For the Lord. I'm like driven by impulses so picky. And the church could really stand to have this conversation. Because for all of us, we are driven by impulses. But those are picky impulses. There are certain lines you would never cross. And you know what that does to us in a church? It makes us super judgy about the lines other people cross. So all of a sudden, Samson is like, look at these people with their cut hair as he walks into the brothel. I'm just saying, she struggles with porn? What? I can't believe she struggles with porn. Can you believe she struggles with porn? All you're telling me is that's not the thing you struggle with. And also, all you're telling me is you may not struggle with porn, but you definitely struggle with shade. Because here you are finding it really easy to gossip about her struggle in the midst of the whole thing. I would never do that. While you were doing something else God says not to do. I think for some of us, we're just fortunate enough that the the things that we struggle with have just become acceptable in the church. So we're kind of cool in that regard. But the truth I read when I look at this is like, man, all of us struggle with deep and dark impulses to move in certain directions, but they're very picky impulses. There are other things. I can't understand how you could struggle with that. And there's something powerful about us dialing in to that truth right there. He's a great reminder. We all struggle. We just struggle differently, and we struggle with different things. And the church just happens to be okay with certain things. He went into what? A brothel? Oh, pray for him. How about you? Well, I hate my enemies. Well, that one's not too bad because some of these political parties are driving this nation into the ground. So that one's okay. But the brothel? No. And if we miss this reality, I think we miss some of the beauty of the story and the story of a God who meets us still in the midst of our weaknesses because some of us are like, I don't don't struggle with that. We all struggle with something. It may just not necessarily be the same thing. Oh, he struggles with self-harm? Well, you're stingy. And if heaven were telling the story, they would gasp about both things. And if Jesus was going to die, he would die for both things. You're not generous. Well, she drinks too much. You eat too much. You're glutton. Well, gluttony is accepted in the church, but drinking, mm, taboo. Heaven doesn't play that game. Which is why some of us struggle like, God used Samson with the stuff he was doing. He uses you and your lying self. Just saying. I feel like I've made my point. Anyway, we are all impulsive in an area, an area we struggle to say no to. And if we see this, I think this story comes to life in beautiful ways. For Samson, his proclivity was sexual. And here at the start of chapter 16, he's driven by sexual impulse, first to a prostitute and then to another Philistine woman for marriage, this woman named Delilah. And it all starts to catch up. Verse 5 of chapter 16. The rulers of the Philistines went and said to her, see if you can lure him into showing you the secret of his strength. They went to his wife and said this. We need to know the secret of his strength and how we can overpower him so that we may tie him up and subdue him. Each one of us will pay you really well, 1,100 shekels of silver. So Delilah said to Samson, tell me the secret of your great strength and how you can be tied up and subdued. What? That may be a warning sign. But I'm glad we're sitting with real people who understand that when you're driven by impulse, you will blow through warning signs like they don't exist. Fifteen people have told you the same thing. And you don't see it? Samson didn't. Oh, how people can subdue me. Well, okay, let's talk about this. By the way, can I tell you real quick, this is hell's conversation about you. 
I don't know if I mentioned a little bit ago that all of us struggle with deep impulses, and maybe I camped on that a little bit too long, but it is really key that you understand that you struggle with deep impulses because this is a conversation hell is having about you. We've got to take her down. How? We've got to find the spot of her weakness and exploit it. Hell is camping around the area of your greatest weakness, figuring out how to derail you and subdue you and make you entirely ineffective. Doesn't care about the areas in which you're strong. Hell is coming after your weakness, which is why I'm camping on if the church gets to the place where we say, well, that's not an issue, then Satan's like... We can keep derailing them, and they don't even notice because they don't care about that particular area of struggle. But that's the conversation. Oh, she has a spirit of the living God, and she started to show concern about the weak and concern about the vulnerable. She started to share the gospel. We've got to take her down. She's wreaking havoc in our kingdom. Find her weakness and take her out. That's the conversation happening about you. I just thought I'd give you some encouraging news here in the house of the Lord. Uh, the enemy's pressure... Um, Delilah, um, and Delilah pressures Samson in his most vulnerable moments. And eventually, Samson gives her the secret of his strength. Not right away. What he does is he inches closer and closer to the edge, ignoring the warning signs and just inches closer and closer to the edge. If you read this story, you're like, you've got to be kidding me. He tells her the first time, like, well, if you tie me with strings, I become as weak as any man. So you know what she does? Ties him with strings. And then she says, hey, Philistines, come get him! Get him! And Samson's like, psych, pop, 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 and he escapes. And then he... (laughs) And then Delilah says to him, how could you do that to me? You embarrassed me in front of my friends. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and Samson's like, my bad, if you tie me with ropes. And he just keeps inching closer. So what does she do? She ties him with ropes. Come get him! He says, pop, 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 pop. How dare you, Samson? She says to him at one point, do you even love me? <laughs> Why won't you just let me kill you? <laughs> you know? And, and then Samson escapes. And then the third time he says, if you tie my hair... Uh, with a certain kind of thing, then I become as weak as... So she ties his hair. Come get him! Samson's like, bop, bop, bop. Knocks him out and escapes. But you notice the progression, don't you? From string to rope to hair. And every time there's a warning sign, and he just blows right through it. And you know the rationale in Samson's mind? I escaped before. I got away with it before. My parents told me that if I do this, then da-da-da-da, and maybe bad things would happen, and maybe, you know, she might get pregnant, and maybe things would go wrong, and my life would be derailed, and nothing bad happened. I escaped. I'll I'll try it again. Let me inch closer. Let me try a little bit more. And then after three times, he eventually tells her. Verse 18, when Delilah saw that he had told her everything, She sent word to the rulers of the Philistines, come back once more, he has told me everything. So the rulers of the Philistines returned with his silver in hand, and after putting him to sleep on her lap, you will notice the places where he was most vulnerable, when it was sleep time. She called for someone to shave off the seven braids of his hair, and so began to subdue him. And his strength left him. Then she called, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He woke up from his sleep and he thought, here it is. I will go out as before and shake myself free. Got away with it before. But he did not know that this time the Lord had left him. Then the Philistines seized him, gouged out his eyes and took him down to Gaza, binding him with bronze shackles. They set him to grinding grain in the prison. What a sad picture. This strong man is now a mere spectacle for the amusement of the enemy. And that's pretty much how Samson's story would end. And by the way, that's how the devil would love for all of our stories to end. And we subdued the church, and they were just a spectacle, walking around in circles but not doing anything. 
completely rendered ineffective because the spirit wasn't working among them. Because the devil knows, if I continue to let impulse drive, it will eventually drive me off the cliff. It will eventually get to a point of no return. But how many of you know that God sometimes does his best work beyond the point of no return? This blows my mind. And I'm like, and then it was over, and God is like, no. His hair started to grow back. Grace. I wasn't done with him. Even when he fell off the cliff, I was there. I will meet you even there at rock bottom. I'll be there. Mm. One time, the Philistines were having a party just to celebrate their conquest of Samson. And all of them were gathered together at at their temple. Verse um, 25 says this. While they were in high spirits, they shouted, bring out Samson to entertain us. This is our favorite thing ever. So they called Samson out of the prison, and he performed for them. When they stood him among the pillars, Samson said to the servant who held his hand, put me where I can feel the pillars that support the temple so that I may lean against them. Now the temple was crowded with men and women. All the rulers um, of the Philistines were there, all the big shots. And on the roof were about 3,000 men and women watching Samson perform. Then Samson prayed, Lord... Sovereign Lord, remember me. Please, God, strengthen me just once more and let me with one blow get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. That's what he was most upset about. Verse 29. Then Samson reached towards the two central pillars on which the temple stood, bracing himself against them, his right hand on the one and his left hand on the other. And Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. Then he pushed with all his might, and down came the temple on the rulers and all the people in it. Thus, best line ever, he killed many more when he died than while he lived. There is a tragic aspect to this story, but I refuse to miss the redemptive beauty of a God who will meet us even when all is rock bottom. Sometimes he does his best work beyond the point of no return. Samson was more victorious for the kingdom in his lowest moment than at his peak. Let me say a couple of things. Um, Band, you guys can come on out. Um, um, In fact, we'll put these up here on the screen really quickly. Um, This story reminds us of a few things. Number one, God will use you. Um, God will use you. But here clearly, God loves to use us in the midst of our weakness and in the midst of our struggle. Why? Because that's the time when we most acknowledge it couldn't have been me. If God is using me while I'm moving this way, and if God is using me while I'm struggling and I feel weak and I feel incompetent and irrelevant, I have to acknowledge it is God at work in me, and it was him who shredded the lion ultimately. There is something powerful about God using us in our weaknesses that allows us to acknowledge without question it was God who did it. God wants to walk with you. God wants to walk with you. Another lesson from Samson's life, God wants to walk with you. And I just want to say to you, don't ever settle for being used by God. Never settle for being used by God. It gets better and more beautiful than that. Samson was used by God. Samson housed the power of God. But you know what? The Bible rarely, if ever, says that Samson walked with God. And that Samson knew his God. There is joy to be had. There is a God to be known. There's something I don't know that I ever read that Samson heard the voice of God. There is something so much more profound than God used me. And it was that God walked with me. And we journeyed together. That's what eternal life is all about. And that happens when I simply start to ask him, would you come near? 
Because I can use gifts and I can be impressive like Samson. But at the end of the day, did I know my God? Did I walk with my God? And I've got to say this too. God wants your impulse. Samson was driven by his impulses just like we are. And yet I believe his impulses weren't the problem. His impulses weren't the issue. An impulse is simply my first response. An impulse is simply the thing I am first tempted to do. That's what an impulse is. There is nothing wrong with my impulse. There's nothing wrong with your impulses. The problem is when you let them drive. That's the issue. And I believe God would say to each one of us, when you experience the impulse to do something, because you know that's it. Like, man, I feel the impulse. Like someone cuts me off in traffic. Like I'm going to feel the impulse to like, oh, that's just my first temptation. There's nothing wrong with that. But if I'm letting those drive, I'm going to commit some crimes. I'm going to have an impulse sometimes like these kids of mine. I'm telling you, I'm, I'm going to jail. I'm just going to go to jail. That's my impulse. There's actually no problem with that impulse unless you let it start to drive to say, mm, mm, mm. He fine. While you're standing next to your husband in the checkout line at the grocery store, that's going to happen. Don't let people lie to you. You know, I got married and then I became blind to all of the good looking men in my life. Like, no. But if you let that impulse drive you, it will start to lead you into place. That's not the problem. And God would say to each of us, when you feel impulse, that's actually an invitation for you to bring that impulse to me. Because you know what ultimately God would say? I want my spirit to drive your impulse. I want my spirit to drive your impulses. And so when you start to sense in me like somebody cut me off in traffic, those are the places where I just ask spirit of the living God to drive my impulses and something beautiful starts to happen. And if you read the Bible, you start to see that the godliest people were driven by the spirit and the impulses started to change and all of a sudden it's like somebody cut me off in traffic and I was quick, impulsive, to let it go. I was impulsive to listen and slow to speak. Somebody wronged me and I was impulsive to forgive. And all of a sudden I'm like, what's happening to me as the Spirit takes over my impulses? I'm telling you, when you start to sense those things and you bring them to Him, He wants the impulses. It's in that place that He actually starts to change us and starts to lead us and starts to walk with us. But this story is ultimately about Jesus Christ. Is it not? The story to me is ultimately this beautiful reminder about Jesus, the, the, the ultimate Samson from heaven. The one who was born miraculously of a woman. The one who was set apart for the service of God. The, the one who was the final judge to deliver his people from the oppression of the kingdom of darkness. This is ultimately talking about Jesus, the greatest Samson. And, and, and ooh, one time uh, he fell for this, this woman, shady woman, boy. Shady woman. In fact, if the angels could have spoken to him, they would have said, Jesus, don't do it, man. She will kill you. And her name was the church. Yeah. He came and he loved the church, fell in love, as it were, with the church. This is a beautiful story about Jesus who would end up getting sold out by the very people he came for and would end up dying on a cross. But I don't know if you know that God is a God who does some of his work at what seems like the point of no return. Because Jesus in his death stood on a cross and you remember this picture I know you do that with his right hand he grabbed a hold of the pillar of sin and with his left hand he grabbed a hold of the pillar of death and in his last breath he cried it is finished and brought down the kingdom of sin and brought down the kingdom of darkness even in his death but unlike Samson he got up three days later 
And I don't know about your imagination, but my imagination about Jesus' resurrection is he went back to the tomb and he started scooping out handfuls of the honey of forgiveness and handing it to his loved ones. And he scoops out handfuls out of the carcass of the grave of mercy and he's giving it out to anyone who needs it. And this is the Jesus who would say to us, bring your impulses to me. I will use you, but more than that, I want to walk with you. But bring all your stuff and your brokenness to me and let me change you if you're willing. And so Jesus, that's my prayer, that we would bring our stuff to the foot of the cross. We would bring our stuff to you, believing that you love us, you want to change us, you want to use us for your own glory's sake. It's in your incredible name that we pray. Amen. Amen.